The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello and welcome to Business Reinvention. I'm Nancy Lynn. Every week, we bring you thought-provoking ideas from a different industry so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, since 2008, we have not only gone through a recession, but we've seen radical advances in technology which have helped transform so many industries. Companies are now increasingly looking for employees with very specific skills instead of general skills. And, and they're also at the same time voicing concern about a growing skills gap. But are companies looking for the right type of workforce that can help them succeed in a competitive environment full of uncertainty and mind-boggling change? So I wondered, do we need to rethink the way we define talent now that the nature of competition has changed? And what do we need to do differently in order to develop and retain talent that we need? Well, I think few people are more qualified to answer these big questions than John Hagel. He's a co-chairman of Deloitte Center for the Edge, who had also worked as a principal at McKenzie for more than 15 years. And I'm really excited that he's joining us today for this discussion. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, so you obviously have worked in management consulting for a really long time. Are you getting different types of questions from executives today than, say, 15 or 20 years ago? Uh, the questions at, at a fundamental level are still pretty much the same. I, I think they very much focus on a sense of mounting performance pressure, that there's a sense that no matter how good you are today or how what kinds of assets you have today that uh, tomorrow could be a completely different story. And so there's a, a sense of... I, I would say three things coming together. One is mounting performance pressure. Just You have to work harder to get the same dollar of profit than you ever did before. I think, secondly, there's a sense that change is accelerating. Uh, one of the things that uh, you can look to for that is just the compression of product life cycles. As in, across many different industries, it's been documented that no matter what kind of product you're, you're bringing to market, it tends to have a shorter life than, than it did before. Um, so you're constantly having to reinvent the products and services that you offer. And then there's just the, you know, what, what Taleb calls the black swans, these extreme unexpected events that come out of nowhere, the uncertainty that no matter how well you've planned things, uh, things are, unexpected things are going to happen. So, so all of that, it's kind of a perfect storm of those three things coming together that's 
focusing executives, I think, much more on the question, not just of how, how am I doing today, but what do I need to do to accelerate my performance and get to that next level of performance more quickly. Mm. It's so interesting because technology is supposed to make our lives easier, but now, like you said, we have to work harder <laughs> to succeed. Um, and challenges are constantly evolving. And just when you're trying to figure out what's working in a new situation, the environment changes again. So how does that... In- it, it, oh, I'm sorry, it's just what I call the dark side of technology. You know, <laughs> I come from Silicon Valley where you know you start out every talk talking about the wonderful things the new opportunities that are created by technology but i think we lose sight of the fact that that same technology is contributing significantly to this mounting performance pressure mm. so how does that impact the psychics of corporations and leaders today well it's it's interesting I, you know I, i've spent a lot of time looking at what i uh, what what has been described as cognitive biases. What are the biases that we bring to a situation where human beings, we're not totally rational, we tend to have these biases. And I I think it's an interesting phenomenon that as, as pressure mounts and as uncertainty mounts, we have certain very human and understandable tendencies or biases that emerge. One of them is that we tend to... Uh, magnify our perception of risk and discount any perception of reward. So we end up being more tentative, not willing to move because, well, let's wait until things clarify. So you tend to uh, be much more risk averse. Another tendency is we tend to shorten our time horizons. We tend to focus much more on tomorrow or even today because the future is so uncertain, how could I spend time really thinking about what's going to be happening five years from now? And then related to that, we tend to go to what I call a zero-sum mindset, which is because the time frame is so short, the, the resources that we have are given. There's no, going to be no more resources today. It's what we have. So we end up in this mindset of a win-lose situation. If you're going to get the resources, I'm not. And so there's much more conflict uh, in, the, in the short term. And related to that, we tend to see an erosion of trust. And so I think all of these come together and create a, a pretty dysfunctional kind of mindset um, as we face this mounting pressure. Wow, very well said. Um, definitely paint a picture of what we're seeing today. Uh, so given all of that, what do you think company need from their employees that they didn't need before or maybe didn't need as much? <laughs> well, it's interesting. There are a whole whole set of changes in terms of what we need from employees. I, I think in the past, in more stable times, you know, there was this model that you went to school, you got an education, you got a degree, maybe several degrees, and then you came in to, uh, to work and you could rely on the education you had to carry you pretty much through your work work career until retirement. Um, that's no longer the case. We're now in a situation where whatever skills you have, whatever education you had, if you're not learning more and more rapidly, you're going to be increasingly stressed out and ultimately obsolete. And so we need to find ways for workers to 
be more focused on that continuous learning in order to be effective in the work environment. It used to be in the past, again, that we also looked to workers who were just going to follow orders. I mean, in many respects, our educational systems were designed to socialize children to be able to follow instructions. You know, here's what you have to read, here's the exam you're going to take, um, and that was all to prepare you for a work environment where you were going to get specific orders and you just your key goal was to follow those orders. In an mm. environment that's, that's got so much uncertainty attached to it, we need workers who are going to take more initiative, who are going to be facing un, unexpected situations and challenges, and they can't wait for orders. They've got to act now. And so, so I think that's another key thing that, that mm. we're going to need from the workforce. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, what you just prescribed it, is quite different from a, what a lot of companies are doing right now. I, I noticed that you know, a lot of companies are still very much focusing on education and skills, as, you know, especially when they're hiring new employees. And you talked about looking at employees' dispositions as opposed to skills yeah. in your report. And I find that to be very refreshing, and it's also a very important distinction. Can you tell us what's the thinking behind that, and how did you come to that conclusion? Well, it's interesting. We came to the conclusion by looking at uh, arenas that are very far removed from uh, traditional business environments. We spent a lot of time in extreme sports, for example, like big wave surfing, a lot of time in online video gaming environments like World of Warcraft, environments where you have to have sustained extreme performance improvement. And one of the things that came out to us from that research was that as diverse as these environments were, there was one common element, and that was that every, all the participants were deeply passionate about their activity. Um, and so we started to pull that apart because, you know, people talk about passion in very uh, loose ways, and we all have different meanings that we attach to the word. But what we found in, uh, in this research among these participants in these environments was they had three elements or attributes that came together. First of all, they had a really long-term commitment to a domain and a commitment to make a difference, a growing difference in the domain. So they weren't in it just casually. They were committed for a long time frame uh, in that area. And secondly, the other two elements were what, what you described as dispositions. Um, and that's essentially an orientation towards action. What's your instinct when confronted with a situation? So one of the dispositions was a questing disposition. What we found among these participants in these environments was, in contrast to a, 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 a um, a worker in, a, in an average work environment where you get an unexpected challenge and you view it as a headache, as a pain point. Your goal is to get back to your assigned task. With the questing disposition, the reaction is completely different. It's excitement. It's, wow, I've never seen this before. What would I do? How would I take this on? How could I get to that next level of performance? So that's a questing disposition. And then the, the other disposition is related is we call a connecting disposition, which is the orientation when you're confronted with these challenges and this is not to go off in a corner and try to solve it on your own, but you instinctively reach out and try to connect to others who either share your passion or are um, 
or have expertise that could be relevant to the challenge you're addressing. And you're connecting with them, trying to get ideas, solutions. So when you combine these three things together, that long-term commitment to a domain, the questing disposition, and the connecting disposition, that's a really powerful way to have somebody really excited about getting to that next level of performance and striving for that next level of performance. And so we think that's ultimately much more powerful than any given set of skills, which again can become obsolete very quickly. It's that passion and commitment to getting to that next level of performance, not just on a one-time basis, but continuously. Hmm. Okay, passion. Well, I think that's one word that gets companies really nervous, right? Because <laughs> it's really difficult to grasp, right? Then uh, skills or education, right? So let's yeah. talk about it a little bit more um, so we all know what you're talking about. Um, first of all, I want to have to say that together, all these three um, attributes together, they sound very much like the qualities of an innovator. Are they the same? If you... Think of innovator as uh, broadly, not just as an inventor, as a scientist sitting in a laboratory, but somebody who is constantly looking for ways to do the job better, innovating on the job. I think that definitely it fits the bill, and that's what we're looking for in, in the context of this passion. It's somebody who gets excited by the opportunity to change the job, doesn't want to just stay doing the same thing day in and day out but is looking for that opportunity to get to that next level of performance. Mm. And, and how is Explorer different from, say, a learner who also tends to have really great curiosity and loves to explore new ideas, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. One of the things as we got into this whole topic of passion, and, and you're right, I think it, it, it creates some uh, discomfort among uh, traditional executives um, <laughs> is that we we have many different forms of passion. One of the things we've tried to do is just develop a, a taxonomy. What are the different categories? And, and one category is what you just described: the the learner. I mean, it's the one who's curious, who's who's constantly look reading, learning about something, um, and we call it the passion of the player. I mean, and it's a very interesting and useful form of passion in certain contexts. But the issue with the passion of the player is two things. One is it's much more about learning as opposed to making a difference. Hmm. And secondly, there's an issue around um, just, well, maybe I'll continue with this after the break. That's fine. Well, we have so much to talk about, um, so let's just take a quick break, <laughs> and uh, so we can talk some more after the commercial break. Um, I also sure. wanted to remind the audience that some of the podcasts from the program are now available for sale, and your contribution will help support the continued production of insightful discussions like the one we're having today. So go to bizreinvention.com to make a contribution, and we thank you for your support. We'll be back in two minutes. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lind at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Well, what got you here won't get you there. Um, it's more true today than ever before. And I'm talking with John Hagel, co-chairman of the Lois Center of the Edge, about the new talent that we need for the future. Um, so, John, before the break, you started talking about um, new attributes or dispositions um, in the talent that will be successful in the future. Um, and some of the things seem a little intangible or new, you know, to companies that have been so used to measuring talent based on skills and education. Um, and so I think it would be really helpful to kind of go over the different types of um, talent um, that you actually, um, I guess, um, developed um, based on the attributes that you mentioned earlier. Well, we were talking a little bit about the different forms of passion that, that uh, exist, and we were talking about somebody who's, who's driven by learning and curiosity, and certainly that's very helpful, but the two elements that I think are missing in that, in that kind of passion, uh, we call it the passion of the player, one is that the person typically is curious about learning and gets satisfaction from learning, but the the passion of the explorer that we talk about is focused on making a difference. They don't just want to learn about a domain or an environment. They want to make a difference. They want to make a contribution and an increasing contribution over time. Now, of course, that's going to drive learning, and they're going to have to learn to do that. But the real objective is to make that difference. Mm. And then often with the passion of the player, you get people who are very curious for a short burst. You know, they spend six months in an area, but then they lose interest and they go on to some other area. 
And having somebody who's got a long-term commitment, they can accumulate that learning and make more and more of a difference over time. We think that's going to ultimately be much more powerful in a, in a work environment. So I think it kind of goes back to the point you mentioned earlier um, that it's important to being very proactive today. So that's the difference being between just learning and then wanting to make an impact. Um, and then you also mentioned, again, about the commitment to domain. Um, so why is it important now? Is it because things are becoming more complex so that you can't just go in from one area to the other and that commitment is, is a lot more important and also right. that commitment, yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to add on to my question a little bit more. And is the commitment to domain just like someone knowing their calling than just doing a good job, whatever that happens to be? Tell us more yeah, about I, that. Yes, I, I think, again, in a rapidly changing environment, just doing a good job today isn't going to get you very far. It's much more about anticipating what you're going to need tomorrow, the week after, the, the month after, and having that long-term commitment to, again, making this difference in that area, in that domain. And when we talk about domain, it's a pretty broadly defined domain. It's, it's an industry or it's a major functional area like marketing or manufacturing, but you're committed to really staying the course in those areas and, and again, make this difference over time. So, and I think one thing that we've been talking about it from the viewpoint of employers and companies, but I also think it's important to highlight from the viewpoint of the individual. I mean, one of the issues we're facing in a globalized economy is that each of us, no matter what our skills, what our accomplishments, we're competing. There, there's a great billboard that, that I don't know if it's still up in Silicon Valley, but was on one of our major highways for quite a while, which was... How does it feel to know that there are a million people in the world who can do your job? <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> you make know, you feel too good, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It kind of puts it in context. That not only are companies under mounting performance pressure, but each of us individually. And, you know, if we're not really passionate in the sense that I'm talking about, about our work, we feel this as huge stress. You know, this is something, oh, my God, tomorrow's going to be even harder than today. And, oh, my God, you know, the next week is going to be even harder. And so there's a tendency to stress out, burn out, uh, and ultimately drop out if you're not really passionate about the work you're doing. Because you're going to be competing with people who may be more passionate about the work, and they're going to do better at it. So one of, one of our counsels to, to people in general is, is there's been a, a mindset which says you don't go to work to pursue your passion. You go to work to get a paycheck. And if you have a passion, you know, pursue it after hours. But don't, don't confuse work with passion. Well, we think increasingly we're going to have to integrate those two. And again, both from the level of the individual employee uh, who's going to need this to, to remain competitive in whatever work they pursue, and also from the viewpoint of the companies who are under mounting pressure as well. Hmm. Well, so a lot of people, when they run into that situation where they don't feel passionate about their jobs, they usually just change jobs. Um, no. But if you don't feel passionate, is it possible to cultivate these attributes, or are they something you're born with? You know, 
this is a great question, and <clears throat> I get it all the time from from a lot of the uh, executives that I deal with. There's this mindset that says, well, first of all, most people aren't passionate, and and second of all, um, you know, yes, if you're a research scientist or a creative marketer, you could be passionate about that kind of work. But what if you're, you know, on the front line of a manufacturing operation, routine, mundane tasks? How could you ever be passionate about that kind of work? Well, my response to both of these is, first of all, I believe if you go out and and look at children, small children, you know, three to five years old, um, they're naturally hugely passionate about everything. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. You know, you know. It's. I think it's an intrinsic human element, and I actually think that our school systems do a great job of squeezing that passion out and training us to say, no, you know, if you've got passion, that's on the playground. Here you've got an assignment to do. Um, and so I, I, I do think that we have it within us, and the question is to bring it out. And then on the, on the issue of, well, you know, what about manufacturing, uh, you know, operations, frontline assembly work, the great story there for me is, is what Toyota did in the automobile plants. You know, they, they said they redefined the work. They basically said, look, you know, if you're on the front line, yes, you have some routine and repetitive tasks that you need to do, but your real job, your real job is to find problems. And God knows there are problems that occur all the time on the front line. And it's not just find the problem, but solve the problem. And if you can't solve it, we're going to put a pull cord next to your station. You pull that cord, the entire assembly line is going to come to a grinding halt. Everything stops. And we're going to swarm you with a team of people to solve that problem. And you're going to be a hero for having pulled that cord, for having identified the problem. Passion levels went way up on the front line assembly line work. Mm. And the response of a lot of Western manufacturers, European and, and U.S., was, well, wait a minute, you know, this is a Japanese cultural trait. You could never get an American worker or a German worker to, to feel passionate about manufacturing plant op- operations. Well, Toyota came in and bought a manufacturing plant here in the United States from a, uh, a U.S. manufacturer, auto manufacturer, redefined the work, passion levels went way up. So we think that if you actually re- focus on redesigning the work environment, you can pull out much more passion from the workers. So instead of letting your job define you, define your own job. Yes. I mean, from the viewpoint of the individual worker, I think one of the key elements, uh, assessments to do is just think about the work you do across the course of a month or a year. And most of us, even if we're in really dull jobs that we don't get engaged on, find there are certain activities that really excite us, that really motivate us. And figuring out what those activities are and then how can I either craft this particular job to have more of those activities or, in the extreme case, move on to another, another job or another company. Uh, but the key is, again, our, our advice is if you're, if you're serious about 
staying successful in, in whatever work you've chosen, you've got to connect to passion in mm. order to do that. So related to this, um, let's talk a little bit more about questing, um, which is one of the attributes you mentioned. Um, and I think this is one area that we haven't heard much about in the studies out there. Um, I hear what you're saying. Uh, some people feel like they're just not naturally um, excited about challenges. Actually, they find it daunting. Um, so is there a way for us to kind of help them develop that disposition and, and unlock their passion? Absolutely. I think that there there are many uh, initiatives you can take as a company to start to cultivate and develop that. I mean, part of it is just, um, on the one hand, giving recognition to those who already have that questing disposition and reward that. Uh, because I think in, in many companies, that's a little bit suspect. A questing disposition means that when you're confronted with a challenge that isn't part of your work, you're going to invest time in addressing that challenge. But it's not part of your assigned work. So I think companies are going to have to make that shift and say, wait a minute, that person is making a really valuable contribution to our company. Yes, they may have fallen out of the process manual in terms of their assigned tasks, but they solved a problem that was really uh, helpful to us. Give reward and recognition to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that's a piece of, of the puzzle. I think part of it, too, is related is the notion that if you're going to develop that questing disposition, you have to accept failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, you're not going to succeed the first time on every quest or every challenge you address. Part of the learning process is failing. <laughs> um, and so companies, again, have the, typically have a culture of predictability. Failure is not an option. You're going to do your assigned task, and you're going to deliver as expected, when expected, and that's it. Well, I think we have to develop an environment and a culture that tolerates at least failure within certain domains or certain uh, arenas. Uh, But then I think part of the design challenge for the work environment is how do you create, how do you reduce the risk of failure, not the impact of failure? So how can you create experimentation platforms where people can try things and tinker and experiment without, you know, bringing down the company? Mm, and so I think great. there are things like that that you can do to build that questing disposition. Mm, very great points. Um, so companies have to be more open-minded, fluid, and willing to celebrate failure. Great suggestions. Um, Let's talk some more after break. Um, For more information about business innovation, follow me on Twitter at BizReInvention or go to BizReInvention.com. We'll be back after these messages. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So we've been talking about employee uh, employee passion and how that's important to the future success of companies. Um, John, you had um, in your report differentiated employee passion from employee engagement. How are they different? And if they are different, how do they impact each other? And again, a great question. I think it's um, it's challenging because both in in the term passion and the term engagement, we have so many different definitions of what what we mean by that. I've tried to explain a little bit about what we mean by passion and particularly the passion of the explorer. I think broadly engagement, and I'd say most companies are focused on engagement, worker engagement. Uh, That's what they seek to measure. They're looking at things like, do you like your job? Do you look forward to coming into work? Do you like the people you're working with? Are you getting recognition for the work you do? Um, and so that's broadly what, what they're trying to capture with engagement. And certainly I don't want to dismiss that and say that's not relevant or important. You need engagement. That, that's helpful. But it's, it's not sufficient. Again, if you just have somebody who looks forward to coming into work in the, in the morning and enjoys what they're doing, they're not necessarily driven to get to that next level of performance. And in fact, they may be a bit conservative holding on to the job they have now because they like it so much versus mm. constantly trying to evolve it and, and get it to the next level. So for us, again, back to the broad theme of mounting performance pressure, 
if we're in a world like that, and we believe we are for the, the long term, this is not going to slow down in any foreseeable time, we need to have not just engagement, but passion. And, and I'll just say as well that one of the things we found in our, in our work was that often it, part of engagement is happiness. And the passionate workers are not necessarily happy, at least as conventionally defined. They're often deeply frustrated because they see all the potential and opportunity to get to the next level, but they see all the obstacles that have been put in their place. So they're pounding the table and frustrated. (laughs) They're not sitting there smiling and saying, wow, I'm having a great time. Yeah, but sometimes that turns into energy for them to conquer those. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great point. Uh, your report, though, indicated that only 11% of corporate employees surveyed fit that description of explorer. So, can, I mean, is there anything we can do to our recruiting practice, or are there other implications based on that number? Well, you know, I'd say it, uh, it ought to cause a huge amount of concern. Um, that number is shockingly low. Uh, if, if you believe that passion of the explorer is going to be critical to driving sustained extreme performance improvement, it means we've got a lot of work to do <laughs> to raise that level of passion. Um, I think the good news is that there is a lot that can be done if you, first of all, recognize and value that as, as um, an important attribute. I mean, part of it has to do with the hiring process. You know, again, as you mentioned earlier, we tend to focus on resumes of skills and, and experience and what a person's done. Um, I, our, our suggestion is that increasingly we need to focus on what has that individual demonstrated in terms of passion. Because if, if you're looking for somebody who's going to continually evolve and get to that next level of performance, they need to show evidence of that passion. Where have we seen evidence of a questing disposition, a connecting disposition? Do they have a long-term commitment to a domain? All of those can be explored through an interview process and identified and, and hopefully valued as part of the reason to bring somebody in. But even so, if you bring in passionate people, if you have a work environment that is not designed to reinforce passion but actually discourage it, which unfortunately we believe many of our work environments are designed to discourage passion, it's not surprising at that in that uh, in that context that only 11% of workers have passion. I think we've actually been extraordinarily successful in achieving our goal of reducing passion and getting it out of the workplace. Um, But you're going to have to think carefully about redesigning the work environment in order to, if you're bringing in passionate workers and for the workers you already have, bring out the passion that's in there. That requires systematically rethinking the work environment. We so think there's an opportunity to take, um, you know, design thinking and design methodology has become a really hot topic in business. It's applied generally to product design. So how can you design products to make them more engaging and useful? Or how can you design a customer experience to give them more value out of the products and services they're using? What about if we took those methodologies and thinking and applied it to our work environment, to ourselves? and said, let's take as our primary goal 
How would we design a work environment that would accelerate learning and talent development and bring out passion in the workforce? That would be a really interesting uh, approach. And unfortunately, to our knowledge, there's no company that has systematically done that. There are interesting kinds of slices of design of work, redesign of work environments, but nobody has taken that holistically and said, how would we do that? Yeah, and, and continue with this conversation. Um, I would think this is especially challenging for large companies. Um, in fact, you mentioned in your report that most explorers are found in smaller companies. So if a company is thinking about redesigning their work environment, um, what are some of the first few steps that they can take? Well, I think part of our advice to, to companies, and first of all, let me just comment on, on your observation because I think it's, it's correct that large companies are particularly challenged in this. And I think it's because we have basically built companies around the model of what I call scalable efficiency. It's how do we become more efficient at scale? And that requires predictability. It requires tight specification of work, standardization of work all of the things that tend to squeeze out passion. On the other hand, if we took a work environment, a company, a large company, and said, what if we focused on scalable learning? How can we learn faster as more and more people join in? That's a completely different kind of goal or rationale for why we have companies, and we think ultimately is the key to making this transition. It's a huge transition, but our advice to companies is, you know, don't blow everything up and start all over again. If you're a large company, find a work environment that really matters in terms of the performance of the company. And often it's, it's maybe a small group of people, 20 people, 100 people out of thousands of employees. And just focus on that work environment. And again, systematically think through not just the physical environment, you know, the layout of the offices or the workplace, but the virtual environment, what kinds of virtual systems and tools are you providing for the workers, the management systems, you know, incentive and compensation systems. Think holistically about that work experience and start, often it could be with the input from the workers in that, in that particular work environment. What would it take to make you more excited about going after a challenge? How could we help you to connect to people more effectively who could help you in addressing those challenges? So those kinds of, that kind of input can be helpful in starting to think about some of the design elements that you could put into place to shift that work environment towards scalable learning. Mm -hmm. And then learn as you go, as you get experience in that one work environment, Take the elements that, that seem to be having the greatest impact and spread them out more broadly. Well, now let's look at this from a different angle. I mean, if you're someone with a passion of explorer, how do you convince the company you want to work for that you are what they need when only 11% positions are given to people with this type of qualities as opposed to those with specific skills? <laughs> right, that's a great question, too. I, you know, I think that part of it is... Um, Passion is, uh, even in the most uh, ruthless large company that's determined to have predictability and efficiency, there are people who are passionate. And I think if you're a worker who's passionate, part of the, the opportunity is to find others who have similar kind of passion. 
and start to connect with them around a particular challenge. It may be after hours. I mean, because you, you're you know being assigned your task and you don't have a lot of spare time. But if you're passionate, you're going to work that extra those extra hours around this really interesting problem or challenge and connect with others who, again, share that challenge and then showcase it. I mean, showcase what you're able to accomplish in terms that matter to the traditional management of the company. I mean, even the most traditional management is going to be very impressed if you can reduce significantly customer churn rates or if you can compress the lead time to get a product into market. Those are kinds of things that really get the attention and point out that it was because you took that initiative. And where possible, find somebody at a senior level in the company who has that kind of passion and who can be a champion for you and support those efforts or provide air cover, if you will, uh, to protect you from people who might uh, want you to just stick to your task. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Um, another interesting insight from your report is that marketing has one of the highest percentage explorer than any other function. Um, and yet, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, few SE, uh, excuse me, few CEOs today actually came from marketing. Should we be worried? <laughs> um, well, let me make a couple of points. One is... Uh, <laughs> First of all, you're absolutely right. Uh, marketing did show a higher level of passion than, than other functions. Um, but overall, it's still shockingly low. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about a majority of the workers or, you know, uh, certainly a, a, a vast majority of the workers. We're talking about a relatively limited segment. So I think that marketing for a variety of reasons has a little more freedom, degrees of freedom and, and opportunities for creativity uh, in the traditional company than, uh, than a lot of other functions. Uh, but I do think your point is right, that um, overall I would say that one of the key shifts that we're going through, we talk about a big shift that is sh- reshaping our, our business landscape. One of the elements of that shift is the growing power of customers and the increasing need to be able to not just sell, push more and more to the customer, but actually get on the side of the customer and understand what kinds of issues and needs that customer is facing and be able to, to address it. And I think over time, as companies begin to realize this, we are going to see more very senior executives coming from the marketing side of the house. It used to be that it was all about production and getting the, the product into market. Now, increasingly, it's about serving an increase a, a more and more powerful and demanding customer. Very interesting. Well, it looks like it's time for another break. Um, for more information about business innovation, follow me on Twitter at BizReInvention or go to BizReInvention.com. Again, we'll be back in two minutes. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Does money drive you or does it serve you? When you listen to Money in Your Life, you'll discover the answer to that question. Tune in as hosts Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins bring you thought-provoking discussions designed to help you understand and assess exactly how money operates in your life. Take control of your personal finances. Money in Your Life is broadcast live every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Make your money work for you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, chat with so many companies raising concern about not being able to find qualified candidates. I sometimes wonder why we haven't seen more management trainee programs like we used to in the old time. Um, you also featured a company that has an apprentice uh, program in your report. Do you think we will be seeing more of that despite the constant pressure to cut cost? Uh, it's an interesting challenge. I think most companies, most executives, when you talk about talent development, tend to focus on training programs. Um, and the problem with, with that mindset is training programs cost money. You have to take people out of their job, put them in a training center somewhere, invest the money to train them, and then somewhere down the line maybe you'll get the, the impact in terms of performance improvement. I think the, the alternative model is to flip it around and focus on performance improvement and view training and learning as a byproduct. And if you do that, you suddenly shift from the focus from the training facility or training room to the workplace again and say, how can I help support my workers to learn faster on the job and drive more rapid performance improvement uh, by addressing problems today? And in that context, I think the apprenticeship model is a much more promising model, and I think we are going to see much more of that, because you're learning on the job, watching and working with people who are dealing with problems today. One of the issues with training programs is you get, once you've documented all the materials in a training program, they tend to be obsolete relative to the challenges that are actually being faced on the job today. So apprenticeship allows you to really focus on driving performance improvement now uh, around the challenges that are really relevant to the business today. 
Wow, that's really, 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 I think, valuable perspective um, to look at this. Um, and of course, again, you know, knowing that you have been in management consulting for so long, um, I'm sure a lot of people in the audience would love to get advice from you as they're thinking about their strategy for 2014. Um, how should they go about thinking about that question of growing their business? What are some of the questions they should ask themselves? Well, paradoxically, I think part of the answer has to do with um, what can you shed in your business? Because I think we, over time, in large companies in particular, have accumulated a lot of activities and, and services and products that are not generate, carrying their weight in terms of generating profit. And so taking a hard look at the 80-20 rule what 20% of my products are generating 80% of my profitability? What about all those other products? Do I really need them? Similarly around customers, what 20% of my customers are generating 80% of my profits? Do I really need all those other customers? What, what are they providing? I think the other key uh, focus is on the notion of leverage. In a time of mounting pressure, Leverage becomes more and more important. How can I do more with fewer resources? And in this context, we're not talking about financial leverage, adding debt to the balance sheet, which has caused a lot of unforeseen problems and unfortunate problems, but leverage in the form of how can I connect to other companies, participants in the marketplace that can complement the capabilities that I have and add more value to the customer. How can I connect to those participants? How can I mobilize what they have and deliver more value with fewer resources of my own? I think that over time, that's going to become more and more a key differentiator between winners and losers in this marketplace. It's going to be those who are more creative in finding those ways to leverage their own assets and capability. Hmm. That's very interesting. In a very complex world, um, simplification uh, will, will actually help us um, bring more revenues um, to our companies. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you so much for your advice, and we hope to hear more about your work. And thank you so much for being with us today, John. I appreciate it. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. I also want to thank the audience for tuning in today. Please follow me on Twitter at BizWeInvention for up-to-date innovation news. Or go to BizWeInvention.com for more information about our show. We'll be back next week, and I hope you can join us again. Take care and have a wonderful week. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.